Dartmoor, England's last wilderness. Once called a wild and wondrous region, the tours and mires of Dartmoor are still haunted by the fables and legends of this mysterious place. This is Myth and Moor. Welcome once again to episode two of Myth and More. With me once again, David Hawkins on the other side of the table. How's it going? I'm pretty good, and thanks very much for asking me back. Well, this week we are on to a brand new topic, uh, a sort of uh, a relevant topic for the minute, because it's raining and miserable outside. We're talking about watery things this week. Yeah, I think um, we ought to realise that Dartmoor is an area that has been described as the land of streams, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a phrase coined by a chap called uh, Carrington, who um, back in the uh, early 19th century wrote a, a prize-winning poem called Dartmoor. Uh, Carrington's Dartmoor poem has been uh, used quite a lot as the basis of information about the myths and legends of Dartmoor, and there's a, a very good uh, edition of it, which I have, um, which is annotated by a chap called Burt, B-U-R-T, and Carrington with Burt's notes is an absolute uh, mine of information about um, Dartmoor and uh, all its works. So, what are we what are we expecting from from water related things? I'm thinking of uh, haunted pools and streams and weird goings on related to that kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. You you hit the nail on the head there. And uh, why why should Dartmoor um, be the mother of streams, as it were? Well, I think if you look at the uh, Met Office rainfall figures, it'll be pretty obvious why. Yeah. Um, Princetown um, gets, on average, 1,988 millimetres of rain a year. That's nearly two metres of rainfall. That's pretty bad. Exeter, only 15 miles away, 848 millimetres a year. Yeah. So it's pretty obvious that... Uh, You've got a heck of a lot of water coming down on that granite upland, and it's got a stream away somewhere. Yeah. And up on uh, Princetown, famous for the prison, of course, so those prisoners not having much fun with uh, over a metre of rain every year. No, well, actually nearly two metres of rain. Yeah, two um, metres. But, of course, they're housed in a reasonably weatherproof <laughs> facility, so uh, they don't get too wet. I mean, in the old days, of course, you used to have prison working parties. Yeah. And there are very early photographs and postcards even showing um, armed guards presiding over chain gangs of men who used to go out with picks and shovels to break stone. And there are quarries all around Princetown um, where the prisoners used to be set to work. Are there stories about the prisoners when they leave that they're just sort of set, they just open the gate and they're just let loose on the moor to find their own way back? <laughs> is that true? No, no, I don't think that is true. Obviously, the ones who escape from the prison well, yeah, don't yeah. get a lot of help in no. getting away. No, I thought the point was that once you finally, once you'd completed your, uh, you know, your penance, that the door is opened and off you go. Well, I think so, but you actually come out into virtually the main street of Princeton. Oh, do you? Okay. And... Uh, until 1956, of course, you could jump on a train and be in Plymouth in an hour. Um, now, I suppose there might be um, a Transmore bus that would take them away, yeah. or more likely, um, 
friends and family would appear and uh, pick them up with their scant belongings and take them away. Were there any away. escapees from the prison? Oh, yes. Um, but we're supposed to be talking... <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about water here today. Well, I know, but you, was, you seemed reluctant to get <clears throat> cracked into the water, so I was... Uh, I was interested to talk about the prison. No, well, ab- absolutely. But let's maybe put that on ice for a while okay. and uh, talk a little bit more about water. Um, somewhere I'd like to start um, with our watery um, episode today is um, a place called Classywell Pool. And this is just outside a little village that I think we mentioned in the first episode of, of Sheepstore. It's unusual, although not unique on Dartmoor, in having more than one name. Um, it's been called Classy Well Pool, Crazy Well Pool, Clakey Well Pool. Mm-hmm. And uh, nobody really knows the origin of the, the word, except, of course, anywhere um, with the word well in, in the place name is a bit of a giveaway that there's something to do with water yeah, there. Thought so. um, it's on the slopes of Cramber Tor near Sheepstor, and it's often been said to be bottomless. Now, some years ago, I'm just checking on a date here. Yes, it was uh, it was way back in the uh, middle of the 19th century. Um, dear old Bert, once again in his notes to Carrington, said yeah. that the um, the bell ropes of Walkhampton Church, which were 190 fathoms long. Now, why would you have a bell rope 90 fathoms long? What's a fathom? A fathom is six feet, so that works out about 180 metres. Now, I know Walkhampton Church. It's got a very fine, solid-looking granite tower. It's not 100-something metres high. It certainly isn't 180 metres high. So unless they tied the bell ropes together or had some spare ropes, I don't know. But at that time, they sounded out Classywell Pool, and it was found... To be bottomless, according to uh, according to dear old Mister Burt, or at least um, longer than the one hundred eighty. <clears throat> certainly longer than one hundred and eighty meters. Of course, I think we can happily debunk that theory. Can we? Oh, yeah. why so? I can tell you exactly why that's the case. In eighteen forty-four, there was a very very dry summer, and it was necessary to pump water from the pool into, and I'm afraid I'm going to have to use the word, into the nearby Leet. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, this was, I think, Devonport Leet, which was uh, serving one of the, the three towns of, of, that later became Plymouth. And needless to say, they hadn't been pumping for very long before the pool was dry. So that completely debunks that particular well, that's theory. that's disappointing. It, it is very disappointing. But... <clears throat> If we're talking about the myths of Dartmoor, there is a very interesting myth associated with Crown, with uh, Classywell Pool. Yeah. And, and that is this, that if you go out there on a dark and misty night, legend has it that the witch of Classywell will call out the name of the next person to die. Ooh. And... Assuming it's somebody you know, well, it, she's not just going to sort of say... Roger Smith or something into the you'd be who the hell's Roger Roger Smith? Well, if you were Roger Smith, obviously you'd know. But <laughs> well, that's um, true. if you weren't, you'd say, "Oh, I know old Smithy down in the village there. I wonder <laughs> if he's going to uh, going to peg out." Um, but there's quite a recent um, incident of this actually happening. Apparently, there were two young lads, um, and you know what young lads are like: daring one another to go out to Classywell Pool. Ah, oh, classic Dartmoor hijinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ab- yeah, absolutely. Um, they rode out there on their motorcycle. 
and uh, they parked up and they were walking around the pool and suddenly, as often happens on Dartmoor, the mist came down. And they lost touch with one another. Right. Each boy cried out the name of the other. Or did they? Or was it the Witch of Classywell? Uh. We don't know. But they called out one another's names or they heard each other's name being called, eventually hooked up again, got back on their motorcycle, drove down into Sheepstore. In the mist, they had a, an accident. Both were killed. And, of course, you know, each had heard the other's name yeah, being called. Go. Hold on a second. How do we know that story? Because both of them died. Well, the f <laughs> I, found, I found a huge hole in your story there. There, is there was a third boy. No, no, not at all. They heard the three people on a motorbike. <laughs> no, there has to be, in all of these stories, I think you'll find an element of supposition. Okay. But two chaps, they were known because they probably said in the pub, the Royal Oak at Meavy, um, we're going up to Classywell Pool now. <laughs> yeah. And so the story would have been built around nice. that particular um, event. But there's another strange story about Classy Whirlpool that goes back to the 14th century. Um, I don't know whether you've heard of a chap called Piers Gaveston. I have heard of him, I think, but yeah. only, through, only through you, I imagine. <laughs> well, it's not a very well-known story, no. but certainly the story of Piers Gaveston on Dartmoor is... is well known amongst people who take an interest in that kind of thing. Of course. Um, he was a favourite of King Edward II. Yes. Um, Gaveston himself was a Gascon from southwest France, okay. uh, which I think at that time must have been in thrall to the English crown. Right, yeah. Um, he came to England and he became, as I've said, the favourite of King Edward II. Now, a yeah. lot of people say there was more to it than just favouritism, okay. that they may have been special friends. We, we just don't know. But nevertheless, Gaveston was made Earl of Cornwall. and It was pretty easy back then. You just sort of had to make friends with a few people, uh -huh. and next minute you're Earl of Cornwall. Absolutely. Well, if you were pals with the king, you know, you did the right thing. And, easy oh, yeah. Like a bit of an earldom, Piers? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, great. Yeah. Uh, can I have Devon, please? Yeah, sure. Off Cornwall? Yep. Yeah. That's fine. Um, and he was um, down on Dartmoor one day, I think coming back from Cornwall, back to the royal court, and for some reason, it's not entirely clear, he ended up at Classywell Pool. I think at this time he'd fallen out of favour with the court, and he was uh, probably trying to hide away from the authorities. Right. But when he, he got to Classywell Pool, needless to say, he heard the siren sounds of the witch of Classywell. And he thought he was doing okay because the witch, what did the witch say? She said, your humbled head shall soon be high. And he thought, oh, that's great. I'm going to be reinstated in the uh, yeah. eyes of the king. So I shall be absolutely fine. It didn't quite work out Wish like that for you. poor old Gaveston. In 1312, he was on his way back to the royal court, ambushed by the Earl of Lancaster's men near Kenilworth, beheaded. Yeah. And, of course, his head was held high. On a pike. On a pike at Warwick uh, Castle. So I'm afraid poor old Gaveston came to a bit of a sticky end. 
Um, shouldn't have stopped off at uh, Classywell. Shouldn't have stopped off at Classywell. No. But in fact, I've, I've been there many times and you've only got to look at it really to realise that it's the results of an old mine working. So what voices did you hear? Only the voices of my my companions with whom I was walking on the moor. Shout, so, well, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Well, we're talking about 40 years ago and I'm still here, so uh, <laughs> my head is still held high. Unlikely to be piked, I would imagine. Very, very unlikely these days. We're, we're it's far too easy on <laughs> uh, on, on people like this. <laughs> but uh, so, so that's really the story of Classywell Pool. Um, I like the idea of bottomless pools, though, and you can imagine it. I mean, a lot of the water that you see, the standing water on Dartmoor, is jet black. Absolutely, yeah. Which I can see why people would uh, start to. Conjure up stories mm. of them being uh, bottomless, and also, there's stuff found in the pool. I mean, there's a lot of dead animals, aren't there, that you get found just face down in a in a pool, which is in itself quite creepy yeah. when you stumble across one if you're walking up. On Usually, the with hideously bloated bodies, yeah, it's quite and disturbing. those gases that develop turn them more or less into just sort of floating masses of rotting hair. Yeah. And so you can see, um, maybe we're, we're um, trespassing into an area that we'll discuss in another episode, um, that of beasts yeah, and crypto indeed. beasts on Dartmoor. But today we're, we're pretty much going to be talking about water. And maybe we'll, walk, we'll work on now to one of the, uh, the best known of Dartmoor's pools. You can probably tell me what that is. Uh, I don't know. Well, I, I I don't know about a pool. I know about Burrator Reservoir. Oh, no, no, no. This is right up on the northern moor, a very remote part oh. of the moor. Um, and, of course, we're talking about Cranmere Pool. Oh, uh, yes. Some people say Cranmere, um, the name is derived from Cranesmere. Any cranes up there? Uh, none whatsoever. <laughs> so no, that's unlikely. Neither of the flapping kind yeah. or the constructional kind. Sure. No, none of that. The best approach, I've, I have been up there a couple of times, and it is Cranmere is supposed to be the mecca on Dartmoor. Walkers attempt to, to get there from all various uh, angles, and you have to go over very, very difficult ground. There are no real landmarks to follow, and right. it's one of the more inaccessible places on the moor. Um, it was one of the first places, if not the first, to have... Um, a letterbox. Uh, okay, yeah. You probably heard of the yeah. Dartmoor letterboxes. It was in the middle of the nineteenth century, and uh, there was a decision made that because Cranmere was so accessible, people would like to have some kind of recollection of their visit. Sure. So a small um, ceramic urn was placed there under a little cairn of stones, and you wrote a little note. I think this must have been in the days before postcards and things like that. You wrote yeah. your little note, and the next person would pick it up, write a note of their own, and take yours and deliver it to the intended recipient. Oh, okay. And that then gave rise to a number of other letterboxes. When I was walking on the moors in the early days, there were about half a dozen, I suppose. There was Duck's Pool, the famous one, Fur Tor. Yeah. Fur Tor, known as the Queen of Tors. Um, Crow Tor. And one or two others. But in the 1980s, an absolute explosion of letterboxes started to appear on Dartmoor. You've probably heard of the um, 
practice of geocaching. Yes, yeah, yeah. In which basically people just hide a plastic box under a rock and yeah. produce a GPS um, reference, and you've got to go out and find it. Yeah. Um, there are now, I think, thousands of these things Ooh, on Darwin. Cool. But Crown Mere Pool really was the first, and it was uh, initiated by a chap called James Perrott. He was one of the early Dartmoor guides, would take ladies and gentlemen, ladies no doubt still wearing their crinoline dresses <laughs> and huge hats, yeah. out onto the moor. And by 1912, a small um, concrete structure had been created, a little iron door, you open the door. And uh, that continues to this day. And of course, there are no rubber stamps, so you take your ordnance survey map and yeah, sure, hold it sure. up in the crazily flapping wind <laughs> yeah. and try and stamp it. So Cranmere has really become, um, as I say, a sort of mecca on Dartmoor, mainly because of its remoteness and, and the fact it, it's not easy to find. Yeah. But of course, it's absolutely surrounded by legends of various kinds, and the best of which is the legend of Bingy Gear. <laughs> Ever heard of Bingy Gear? Is that the name of a person? Yeah, Bingy is, okay. I think, probably um, a compression of the word Benjamin. Right. Okay. So Benjamin Gear was five times mayor of Oakhampton. Pretty good. Pretty yeah, good that's spell. pretty good going, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, he was a pretty unscrupulous character, apparently, back in the 17th century. He was particularly good at sheep stealing. <laughs> and we're talking now about live sheep and not those horrible right, yeah. dead bloated ones One at that a time, we were talking about. I guess. Well, or... I don't know. He could <laughs> history isn't clear on this point, but he could probably corral quite a few sheep. Ooh. You know what they're like. Once one goes That's off true. in a direction, yeah, yeah. all the others follow. So he was up on Hanging Stone Hill and uh, would round up these sheep and drive them down into his farm near Oakhampton. But, of course, in those days, sheep stealing was a capital offence. Yeah, I thought you got in quite a lot of trouble for that. Yeah. And it wasn't long before he was taken up onto Hanging Stone Hill. Himself. Himself. Yeah. And hanged. Right. Um, no doubt, pour encourager les autres, right. as they say. But what happened was that his spirit was condemned to become a dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> but well, who, decided, who decided this? Well, the authorities, I suppose. I have no <laughs> idea. written into the contract. <laughs> he will be hung and his spirit will become, become a, dwarf. a dwarf. But not only that. That's, I think <laughs> that seems a particularly yeah. strange and cruel... Uh, well, strange and cruel post, punishment. Post-mortem yes, yes. punishment. But I think may maybe there was some kind of... Um, intervention from on high that so he was uh, dwarfized he, he was condemned to be a dwarf and bail out Cranmere pool with a sieve oh dear now you know one of the characteristics of a sieve is that yeah. it doesn't actually hold water although being a dwarf in that case would probably help because he'd be slightly closer to the water so he'd have less bending and <laughs> well that's true but stooping it, to do. <laughs> yeah he wouldn't have to stoop a great deal but he got round this problem right being an avid sheep stealer in his yes. former life, yeah. he found a sheepskin. You can see where this is going. I can see where Lined the sheepskin yeah. uh, that the sieve with the sheepskin. Very clever. And bailed like mad. Yeah. Now, he bailed so effectively that the entire town of Oakhampton was flooded <laughs> by the water that came out of the pool. Wow. 
And that's a good effort. It's a very good effort. Now, some say that in fact it wasn't that at all. That the pool, which is now actually dry, it isn't a pool. Whoa. If you go there at any time, it is not an area of water. Okay. It's just a soggy depression in the ground. Oh. But again, like Classywell, it may well have started life as a mine working. Somebody dug through the um, ditch at one side yeah. and the bank, and the water flowed out. Whether it flooded Oakhampton, very, very unlikely. Yeah. But I like that, though. I, I'd, like, <laughs> I'd like to understand why he was dwarfed and who decided that. I've never heard that as a sort of punishment before. It's like, not only will you be killed, but your spirit... I mean, the very concept the spirit has to be a dwarf is brilliant to begin yeah. with. But don't forget, many... Um, evildoers who are condemned to death and then hung or whatever um, do become spirits and they are usually given some impossible task. Yeah, yeah, true. true. So um, it's just a judgment from on high. Who am I to say how these things come I about? I mean, it does seem especially harsh for the sheep stealing, to be honest. Yeah. But then boys I mean, were... death alone is pretty harsh for the sheep stealing. Well, yes, it is. But don't forget, you know, boys could be... Um, Condemned to death for stealing a loaf of bread. That's true. Back back in the eighteenth well, century. Well, I remember. I remember closer up to where I am, Coombe Gibbet, uh, outside of Inkpen in Berkshire. Oh yes. We always used to uh, go up there to get spooked out because there were many sheep rustlers and people that were hung from that gibbet. Mm. Oh yes, and I, I think again in future episodes we'll we'll come to the whole question of gibbets oh. and corpses being hung from. Is there them. gibbets then up or not? There were. Oh, oh, oh yes. Yeah. But Hanging Stone Hill, what does that mean? Some people say it's uh, it was simply a stone that was overhanging another stone. Right, okay. Uh, not that it was actually a place of death. Of hanging, yeah, okay. Of, but uh, legend seems to think that dear old Bingy Gear met yeah, his end up absolutely. there on Hanging Stone Hill. Bingy. Um, and I know um, you've just said that it's odd that he should be condemned to be a dwarf, but there is, well, proof... There is certainly evidence that this was the case because in 1967, a couple from Bristol were visiting the area yeah. and they absolutely swear that they saw the ghost of a dwarf-like figure Ooh. jumping and capering ab around Cranmere <laughs> Pool in his joy that he'd succeeded in bailing out the pool. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, but he's not the only one to haunt Cranmere, actually. Okay. Um, well, at least are... he's not alone, then. Well, oh, no, no, no. Um, there's one version that another, a, a cunning farmer, um, probably also a sheep stealer, yeah. um, was also condemned to death, but it took up to 24 priests to subdue his soul. <laughs> wow. And they turned him in, into a colt, so I, a small horse. Um, yeah. So, so maybe um, that's how the spirit um, is. It's determined how the spirit should uh, become after death. But also, given that he was turned into a small horse, that would give Bingy a way to get around a bit faster. Because obviously, that'd be the perfect size for him as a dwarf to be uh, <laughs> getting, <laughs> a, getting a bit of riding going. Well, on. maybe that's the case. But uh, on this particular occasion, once the uh, priests had done their work and he yeah. had been converted into a cult, yeah. they gave the job to a boy to lead the colt out onto the moors and turn him loose at Cranmere mm. Pool. Of course, the boy had been told, don't look back. 
take the cult to Crimea, yeah. leave it there, walk away. Sure. What did he do? Turned around. He turned around. He looked did. back. And what did, what he did he do? The cult immediately turned into a ball of fire. Crikey. Kicked out his back legs, which were on Ooh. fire, presumably, at this time. Yeah. Knocked out the boy's eye, who then blindly had to stumble his way oh, back dear. down to uh, Oakhampton. I blame the priests for that, to be honest, because they could have warned the boy that they, that they you know, <laughs> that their work might have ended in a, in a flaming... <laughs> cult rather than just a bog standard one well maybe they didn't know that well you know that's once, an oversight for me yeah but once the devil gets hold of you you know or a spirit he can turn that spirit any way he likes this is the problem it's the age-old battle between good and evil that's right but weren't the priest supposed to be good yeah but look it took 24 of them <laughs> to actually sort this out I mean, that so is a lot of priests it really is for a fairly sort of menial task <laughs> They, I, they probably just get together for a little bit of a, a knees up. But can you imagine there even being 24 priests? Well, exactly. They I mean, must have had to come from miles around. Well, they must, because most of Dartmoor, um, up until the beginning of the 20th century, um, was formed from one parish only, mm. the parish of Lidford. So where he got all these other guys from is anybody's guess. Um but actually, there's an interesting thing about Cranmere Pool that most people think they've got there before they actually have. I mean, I'd be a little bit disappointed if I went all the way up there and it's not a pool when I got there. Yeah. but <laughs> So how would you know? Well, because, as I've just said, people think they've got there before they have because yeah. if you approach it from the uh, Oakhampton side, there is another pool. Right. And this is called Ockerton Court. Mm. Why a pool should be called a yeah. court? Well, once again, we just don't know. <laughs> and this is the result of peat extraction. As you know, there was an awful lot of uh, peat cutting on Dartmoor. Yeah. It was used for um, making uh, fires and so on, and also turning into agricultural um, sure. yeah. manures and so on. Um, it's a much larger pool than Cranmere ever was, and it's quite a spectacular stretch of water. Okay. Um, but it isn't Cranmere Pool. But I've actually got a, a, a slight, apart from having been there a couple of times, I do have a slight personal connection okay. with, with Crownmere. I think we vaguely uh, or, or briefly discussed in the previous uh, episode um, my dear old English master at Devonport High, oh, yeah. Elmer Whitfeld. Yeah. Well, when I was in the second form at uh, Devonport High, um, we all went into assembly one morning and the headmaster came onto the stage in a very sombre mm. manner, announced that Henry Whitfeld and his son and daughter had been walking on Dartmoor near Crownmere Pool, which, of course, is in the middle of the military oh, artillery okay. yes. training area. Yeah. Now, normally, there are red flags flying from the tops of all the tours around, so mm. if you see those flags, you don't cross the line. They apparently saw... No flags, walked out to Crownmere Pool and had just sat down to have a picnic lunch when Henry Whitfeld's 15-year-old son took a direct hit what? from a military shell what? and was killed. No way. Yeah. Crikey. Killed by a mortar. How bizarre. And, you know, it was an absolutely tragic thing. Yeah. And, you know, that boy was you know, two or three years above us at school. Um, and his father was, was one of the teachers. Did they take responsibility then for not putting the flags up? 
the, the, the military. I don't know how that story actually ends, but obviously there was an inquest and it was decided that the military must have been um, at fault in some yeah. way for not adequately I've always um, thought it's amazing the they're firing real shells at there. It's pretty yeah. crazy. So that was a very, very tragic thing. And I, I remember that now, that, that fateful day when, when this awful tragedy was announced. I wonder if his ghost is still up there haunting. Well, haunting probably haunting right with now. the... Dear old Bingy gear. I don't know, although, of course, bingy. these guys, their spirits are condemned to do these bad things because they were bad people. True. Henry's son was a 15-year-old boy. Well, he might be having a whale of a time. He might be just riding around on that flaming horse. Well, he might be. Who knows? Be nice to think that he was in a better place <laughs> um, than Crown Me a Bull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite Which possibly. is pretty bleak and gloomy at the best yeah, of times, to possibly. be honest. Why is Dartmoor called Dartmoor? You can answer this question yourself, I'm sure. Because of the River Dart? Because of the River Dart. Two, two parts of the River Dart, mm -hmm. East Dart and West Dart. Right. And strangely enough, they come together at Dart Meet. Makes sense. It does make sense. What, one of the more obvious Dartmoor names, actually, I find, yeah. Dart Meet. Um, but the river um, does have a, a legend attached to it, which is, is quite well known that every year at least one soul is captured by Ooh. the River Dart. And the little couplet, River of Dart, River of Dart, every year you claim a heart. Ooh. And this is, I think, probably a, a throwback from a, a European-wide um, thing about river sprites. There's a tradition Ooh, okay. right across Europe um, they're called undines, and I've got a feeling that um, was it Wagner in, in was it Die Valkur? Oh yeah, yeah uh, Doesn't yeah, he yeah. talk about the oh, um, the Lorelei who are on the river yeah, Rhine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they call mariners and others to their um, to their doom mm. in the river. And of course, the river dart is very very similar in that respect. Um, you'd struggle to, wouldn't you? You'd struggle to drown. I mean, all of the rivers on Dartmoor that I've seen have been quite shallow. Yeah, but fast flowing, mm. full of nasty, slippery rocks. Yeah, and you've only got to lose your footing, slip, crack your head on a rock, yeah, yeah. knock yourself out, and you can easily, easily drown mm. in the river dart. And of course, when when the river is swollen, as it very often is, there's this massive rush of water mm. over the stones and this actually um gives rise to the so-called call of the river dart mm. you very often hear well very often hear there are stories of old mormons saying there'll be a storm coming i hear the broad stones crying mm. and there's this area of stones down on dartmoor where the um particularly haunted by um, a crying voice, and some say that this is the spectral sound of the river itself. There's a very interesting story um, surrounding the Broadstones, uh, which can be found on the, the dart between Mel Tor and Lucky Tor, although okay. some may say not as lucky as all that. <laughs> um, there's a story about a chap called Jan Koo, 
Um, they all got such weird names, these Dartmoor people. Yeah, well, they do. This is Jan Koo, <laughs> uh, Bingy Gear, Jan yeah, Koo. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's what the story says he's called. He was okay. a farmhand at Rowbrook. Right. And night after night, he was convinced that he heard the River Dart calling him. But he resisted for night after night. But every night, Jan Koo, Jan Koo, the Broadstones <laughs> were crying. If he was called, like, you know, Reginald Wigglesworth, he's unlikely to have heard his own name, I reckon. Well, possibly, but he wasn't. He was, <laughs> he was actually called Jan Koo. And finally, he just couldn't resist this cry. And he ran down to the river and disappeared into the darkness. Ooh. The incredible thing was that his body was never found. Oh. And yet... Year on year thereafter, the river still cried, Jan Koo, Jan Koo. And this was maybe the spectral cry of young Jan the farmhand himself. Mm. Pretty weird. Of course, a lot of these stories were collected by our old friend Sabine Baring Gould. Ah, yeah, old Baring Gould. Baring Gould. Of Lou, he was vicar of Lou Trenchard just on the western slopes of Dartmoor. Was he one of the priests that turned that? Fell her into a dog, uh, uh, horse or whatever it was. No, 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 no. That was a Why story. Why not? If you were trying to grab every priest around, maybe he was involved. I think there's an issue with, uh, timing, with, with timing and oh, dates okay. there. You know, uh, these 24 priests were probably way back in the pre-Reformation <laughs> times. Uh, um, and, of course, the um, interesting thing, there's uh, a crossing point of the River Dark called Two Bridges. Mm. Yes, been there. What's interesting about it is... There are actually three bridges. Hmm. Nobody quite knows why. <laughs> that's, that's, that's always but, that come around in all yeah, these stories. But but strangely enough, the area was called two bridges when there were actually only one bridge there. Oh, well. um, so nobody really knows. Um, Theo Brown, who was one of the great uh, folklorists of Dartmoor, yeah. thought that maybe it wasn't two bridges after all. It was Tan Bridge. From the Celtic word meaning the shining one Ooh. or the thunderous one. Ooh. And of course, the river does thunder indeed when the water is high. And so maybe um, our Celtic ancestors yeah. heard the cry of the dart as well. Ooh. So that's, uh, that's an interesting uh, thing to think about. The, yeah. the legends of dart go back a long, long way. But very often, um, they persist to this day. There was a newspaper article not that long ago, and uh, somebody who'd been camping um, on the banks of the River Dart yeah. was uh, drowned when the river unexpectedly oh, really? came up. And a local chap said, oh, well, Dart's had its... Uh, had its life for this year. That, uh, be, so he be still knew the yeah. old... Oh, uh, yes. We'll be okay now. Still won't be a problem. Story. That's yes. weird, isn't yeah, it? it is very, very odd. Um, I'm just thinking now about um, other watery areas uh, on Dartmoor. Mm. Um, a lot of them, as we've said, are, are just very shallow depressions in yeah. the ground. Yeah. Very often the result of mining activity or peat extraction. Yeah. Um, but most of them have their own stories. And there's one in particular, um, such a, which is called Bathe Pool. Okay. Um, bathe as in, you know, swimming. Yeah. Um, 
is just uh, north of the moor in the little village called North Torton. And in 1817, a local squire described it as a hollow in a field about two-thirds of an acre in extent. There's no spring. No river flows into it. It's just part of the field. Mm. And yet sometimes, apparently, it filled with water up to 14 feet deep. Crikey. And it was agitated all over. The water was boiling. What? Or as if it was not physically at 212 degrees Fahrenheit or anything. Yeah. Um, or 100 degrees Celsius. <laughs> yeah, that's a use of old money. That's as, pretty as, weird. As we might say. Well, we're looking at ancient legends, aren't we? <laughs> okay. And so we, we think about them in these old terms. Okay, good. Yeah, oh, is enough. it 212 degrees? I don't know. It's madness. Just yeah. zero is freezing and 100 is boiling. It's a pretty good system. Absolutely. Why would you want to go down any other know. route madness. than that? But this water was boiling at some <laughs> yes. um, approved Was it some kind of spring then underneath it? Nobody knows. It rises, or it used to rise, within 12 hours, stay there for a few days, and then slowly, slowly Ooh. drained away, leaving everything dry. But apparently it always foretold a death. Oh, okay. Which was quite an interesting uh, thing. And this has been happening apparently for hundreds of years since the time of King John. And more recently, although still quite a long time ago, yeah. the death of William Pitt the Younger in 1806 and the Prime Minister Spencer, Spencer Percival in 1812. Now, I've got a feeling, yeah. I may be wrong on this, but I think Percival was the only British Prime Minister to be assassinated. But how were these foretold by, the pool, by, the, by this marshy bog then? When the pool came up, yeah. it was a foretelling that somebody would die. Oh, so the pool came the pool came up. The local said oh, The local said, hold on, and then Pitt the Younger, boom. Yep. Croaked. Yeah. So and the connection was made. Now why a pool on the northern slopes of Dartmoor filling up with water would foretell <laughs> the death of a famous prime minister. Well <laughs> we just again, don't know. We just don't know. But <laughs> Well, we had we, we we had a you know we had an we had an admiral who turned into a seagull last week. So I suppose nothing is uh, nothing is beyond the realms of possibility. On on Dartmoor, nothing is ruled out. No, quite equally, I suppose nothing is ruled. <laughs> um, but one of uh, the great storytellers of Dartmoor um, is, of course, the famous Mrs. Bray. Yeah, wife of uh, the vicar of Tavistock in the early 19th century. And of this particular pool, Bathe Pool, she tells the story um, of Sir Roger de Stevenson. Mm. He was the uh, local landowner, and he was appointed to be guardian of young Henry de Bath, right. of Bath Hall. Okay. That's why we have Bathe Pool. Gotcha. Um, but unfortunately... These stories are so weird, aren't they? <laughs> Apparently, he was such a cruel fellow that he refused a leper the <laughs> permission to drink from the pool. Well, that is a bit miserable, yeah. isn't it? So, um, but nevertheless, <laughs> he got his comeuppance. He was subsequently lured into its waters by the pixie spirit of the, of the pool, mm. who was called Fontana. Mm. See where they're going there? Yeah, Fontana, good, yeah. Fountain. Yeah. It, it all sort of comes together yeah, as a story, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> um, but 14 feet deep, we've already been 
discussing yeah, yeah. How, how deep it was, and both man and horse were drowned, lured into the pool yeah. by Fontana. Like a siren song. Like a siren song. So, bathe pool, not a place for a pleasant swim. No, no. I would definitely stay well away from it. <laughs> Particularly if, if somebody's about to die, water comes up. Yes. Although, if you're, if, you're, if you're, you know, brought in by some kind of siren, you've got very little choice in the matter, I imagine. Well, you hear about the siren song, don't you? Yeah, exactly. yeah they're drawn in. And uh, that reminds me of another um, horsey tale about a pool. On the northeastern side okay. of Dartmoor, there's a very, very deep mire called Raybarrow Pool. Mm. And the story is told, it's near Cosden Beacon. In fact, it's from where we are now in North Devon, um, as you drive down to Dartmoor, you can see Cosden Beacon is one of the, the big outliers of Dartmoor. It's one of the first major hills you okay. see. The other side of that is Ray Barrow Pool. And the story is told of an old Mormon coming back from herding his sheep one day. And he saw a hat floating on the surface of Ray Barrow Pool. Top so, bowler? We think it yeah. was top. Okay. Actually. <laughs> okay, good. So it was, you know, yeah. there it was. Nice, quite distinct. Shiny top hat. Yeah, okay, good. He gingerly crossed. The, the mire, mm. lifted the rim of the hat, and there was a head underneath oh. it. So he said to the head... <laughs> Didn't skip a beat. What, is, what are you doing there? I'm sitting on my horse, said the bloke. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact so, he didn't skip a beat with no, this. So yeah. that gives you an idea of how deep is the mire of Ray Barrow Pool. <laughs> Hold on, that can't be the story. <laughs> yeah, that's the story. That's great, isn't it? That can't be the story. Well, he was just totally fine with there being a sort of aquatic horseman just well, sitting there. Well, there was nothing he could do. <laughs> Absolutely nothing he could do. But I mean, he answered. Was he, yeah. I, so, but he was fine just under the water. <laughs> yeah. I'm just on my just horse. Just sitting on his horse. Well, you know, we, we have to assume that at some point the water maybe went down and the bloke um, effected a, some kind of miraculous recovery. Um, okay. <laughs> but it's pretty strange, isn't it? Is it is really. Weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, there are many stories. I could tell you the story of how <laughs> if somebody drowns in a pool, right. um, they can some sometimes find the body... Um, by divining with a loaf of bread. <laughs> so how do you? I know how you divine with two rods because they cross yeah. each other. How do you? No, apparently what apparently a, what you do, yeah. um, you put a little bit of mercury in the loaf. Oh, well, yeah, obviously. And if, done, if yeah. you go to go to the pool where somebody is supposed to have yeah. drowned, um, float the loaf on the water, and when it gets to the <laughs> right location of the body, it will sink, and then. <laughs> Well, there you go. So and th if you need to find a body on Dartmoor, take a loaf yeah. of bread. Th this was actually done near near Bovey Tracy, right. um, not that long ago. Okay, um, a lady had been walking by the river. Yeah, one evening, didn't come home. Search for the body. Tried divining by a loaf. <laughs> um, uh, it didn't work though. Well, yeah, uh, the I body was found. I, three I'd weeks. like to be the you know around the bloke that suggested that. I know we've spent the last three days looking for this room, but I've got an idea. Let me <laughs> let me pop to Tesco 
get myself a nice split tin and yeah. see what happens. Stick a bit of mercury in, which, of course, is very difficult to get these days. Yeah. Quicksilver. Um, but I suppose it was regularly available. It's pretty but, weird. Yeah. So, th- so that is quite strange. <laughs> I've actually just been passed a note, if we've got time to... Fr- we have. We've got one more story. Right. Well, this is the story of the Saracen's Head. Um, Sounds like a pub. There are many pubs called yeah. the Saracen's Head. I, th- I think Saracen was um, another name for a Turk, wasn't it? Okay. Um, and this, I'm afraid, takes me back to my old... Um, Interest of Leeds. Mm. Now, on Dartmoor, um, there is a, a Leet which is something like 37 miles long, and it was constructed to serve the town of Devonport. Okay. It's one of the most ambitious Leets ever constructed, yeah. taken from two rivers high on the moor and contours down. Now, not far from a place called Raddick Hill... Um, the leet cascades over the side of the hill. It's taken across a river by an iron aqueduct. And then it turns sharply to the left and at one point appears very slightly to run uphill. Ooh. Is it an optical illusion? We just don't know. But set into one of the cement uprights between the big granite slabs, which is um, which forms the side of the, the leet, is a tiny little ceramic head. It's it's no bigger than you know, a few centimetres high, um, and it's also always been known as the Saracen's Head. Mm-hmm. Now, this leap was built in the late 18th century. One assumes that the uh, granite sides were put in at the same time. Yeah. Who put this Saracen's Head in place is not known, and unfortunately, in recent years... It's disappeared. Where it's gone, how it disappeared, nobody knows. But if you go out now searching Devonport Leet for the Saracen's Head, I'm afraid to say you won't find it. Pretty weird. Right, well, thank you very much for another week of weird and wonderful stories from Dartmoor. Well, it's been a great pleasure. Unfortunately, we haven't had time to talk about all of them. No, as always, time makes fools of us all. Uh, And if I was to take anything from from this week's episode, I would probably uh, take away the fact that you probably don't want to go stealing too many sheep on Dartmoor, lest you be not only killed, but transmogrified into some kind of demonic dwarf. I think that's a very, very wise precaution. Mm, we should all take note advice. of that. Yeah. Excellent. And on that note, uh, I'd like to say thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you again next time on Myth and More.